Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Never, ever give up hope. Those of you who have been following the show know that I always bring incredible stories from remarkable people who were not so extraordinary, just ordinary people, until they had an extraordinary experience. And that's what they share on Never, Ever Give Up Hope. People have been put into positions where they never expected to be, whether it be great loss or suffering or tragedy, and they are here to share their stories. And I just am so appreciative of the people who have stepped out to share their stories, and of course, also appreciative of the listeners. Never Ever Give Up Hope is now in 120 countries, and we are sharing the message of hope. No matter what you go through, there is always hope. As long as someone, as someone said, as long as we are six feet above, we have hope. And it doesn't matter what we go through. There's always someone, it seems, who has gone through something similar. And that's what I find with this show, that someone will rise up and say, that's the story I needed to hear. I needed to know that there was somebody else who experienced what I experienced and came out ahead. It doesn't mean that you ignore the pain or the tragedy that you went through. One thing that we do when we listen to stories of other people who have gone through something similar, it helps us to relate and to understand, to have empathy, to have sympathy, and to also learn from it and gain from it, knowing that if someone else has gone through the same thing we have or something similar and they made it through, we can too. And so that's where the encouragement comes in. Thank you so much for listening and your comments and reviews. It's so very much appreciated. With me today, I have Becky Reeser. She is an author of Through My Tears, A Wash in Forgiveness. Now, Becky has lived through the worst nightmare that a parent could ever have lived through. Her daughter was murdered. But that is not the whole story. Her story is what happened after the murder. I started reading Becky's book. I just received it yesterday, so I didn't have a chance to finish it. But it is well written. It definitely will grab you. It'll it'll pull at your parental heartstrings. And also, you it's a page turner because you don't know what is going to happen. And so I really appreciate Becky's st- not only a story which is written as a novel, but of course, 
what she went through and how she came through the other side. Thank you so much, Becky, for joining us today. Well, Carol, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So before we talk about this terrible tragedy that changed your life, share a little bit about what your life was like, your children, etc., before this happened. Well, you know, you, you tend to think that, that life is just going merrily along. I was married to my husband, Jeff. We'd been married uh, since 1981, and we had four children. Our oldest was our daughter, Liz, who was 17. Next in line was Micah, who was 15. Next in line behind Micah is Jordan, who's three years younger. And then comes Christopher, our youngest, who was in fifth grade at the time. So that's kind of where our family was. My husband, uh, we owned a business, and I was also working in the uh, Dover City School System. I was a secretary part-time, and um, we just did our thing. You know, we were a normal family living in uh a small town outside of the largest Amish community in the nation. And so we don't think that uh, we're anything major. <laughs> it's just a kind of a normal Midwest type family. And I suppose violence was the furthest thing from your imagination. Absolutely. Absolutely. In our area, there's, you know, just the, the general, you know, home, you know, Somebody's home was broken into or someone's car was broken into. Uh, People got in trouble for drugs or that type of thing. Uh, Murder wasn't real common in our area. There obviously were a few because it's, you know, it it does happen. Evil runs around this nation like crazy. But um, it had touched this community the year before. But uh, it had been several years prior to that before anything had happened. So let's take a step, one step at a time, through what happened that night. Well, our day, it was a Tuesday, just like it is today. And um, we got up, we went to school. The, the kids went to school. I went to school. My husband went to work. My daughter was going to attend a choir banquet with her, her best friend that went to a, a school in a neighboring town. And uh, her friend was a senior. Liz was a junior at the time. And so it was uh, nothing out of the ordinary, just a a school function. What was out of the ordinary was the fact that Liz had asked if she would be permitted to spend the night with Brandy that night. And um, it was a really difficult decision to make because we had a, a rule, a hard, fast rule that you just didn't even ask to to change it that on a school night, you don't spend the night at anyone's home. And so that was just normal for us. So when she asked if she could do this, it really sent up red flags in my heart, in my mind, because I didn't want to change the rules, take a chance on, you know, well, Liz did it. Why can't I do it from the boys? <laughs> and, you know, that that's just the way... Things happen, unfortunately. But um, so we thought about it for a couple days, and much to Liz's chagrin, it took us a long time to come up with an answer. 
she had a marvelous argument. She was on the honor roll, and it was the end of school, so she was not required to take um, several of her finals. She was exempt from them because of her grades. She only had one. Being the 23rd of May, they were beginning to turn in their books and just not really learning anything in class. That was one big argument. She also had all of her chores done. She had had an accident earlier in the winter, and she'd lost her license for three months. Uh, And during that three months, because of the accident that she had, she had to pay part of the repairs on the car. And so she was diligently working, babysitting and cleaning house for my brother and doing different things. So she was doing all the right things. And she was just she was just a good kid. She attended three different youth groups and uh, had lots of friends and just did good things. So it was really hard to say no. And I didn't want to be the mean mom. You know, you don't ever want to be the mean mom and say no. <laughs> but sometimes, sometimes a no is required and other times it's not. And so my husband and I talked and because of all the argument that she had for her to be able to go, we couldn't refute it. Even if we had a red flag, there really wasn't a reason to say no. So we finally gave in and said, okay, you can go. So on Tuesday night, she was getting ready. She came home from school. And in typical 17-year-old teenage girl way, she was noisy. And she was on the phone. And she was giggling and making noise and slamming drawers and, and getting things out of her closet and just, you know, irritating me. I was in the room on the other side of the wall from her bedroom. And um, I'd had a really rough day at school. And so I was in the poor me stage and uh, just didn't want to hear any of it. I still wasn't happy with the decision, but I couldn't take it back because we'd already told her no, or we told her yes, I couldn't say no. Yet I knew that what she was going to do wasn't a bad thing. I don't know why I just had this, this feeling, but I did. So I wasn't happy to hear her happy, and I really struggled with that. Looking back, just stop there for a moment. Looking back, Mm -hmm. did this create, because of the decision that you allowed her to go, did you have to deal with the guilt of that and not listen to that red flag, or did you realize that there was nothing you could have done to change that? Oh, the guilt. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Uh, I dealt with you know, guilt then, and I sometimes still have to deal with it. If I'd said, if I had just said no, if I had just been the mean mom and knew she'd get over it, would things be different now? And honestly, Carol, I don't, things may not have happened the way they did, but I know that that God has a plan for everybody's life. And so one way or another, her life would have ended at some point. I just, I, I can't say that God caused it, but God knew, God allowed it. And so whether it happened that night or whether it happened another night, I know there were different times in, in Liz's life where her life was really uh, almost ended. She was in a couple of car accidents. She was 
uh, going down the river one day with um, my husband and her brothers, and she got violent, violent cramps in her legs, and she couldn't stand up. She couldn't do anything, and she, she could have drowned. So there were just so many unusual occurrences in her life within the last, I'd say, year before she died. It's almost like she was in a, in a fight for her life. And I guess maybe that's why I felt kind of funny about it, but yet I didn't really know why. Right, right. What an incredible way to look at it, though. And um, my hat is off to you for that. So continue with the story, please. So we allowed Liz to go. Her friend, Brandy, came, picked her up. I'm in the back of the house and and just didn't even bother saying goodbye. Liz was talking and my mother happened to stop by and and she and Liz were in the giggle mode and making lots of noise that I wanted to ignore. And Liz was telling her all the things that she was going to be able to do and, and that we allowed her to do this. And she was so excited. And how someone can be so excited and I could feel just the opposite um, it still kind of amazes me when mm. I think about it. And I can't say that's something that I think about a lot, but I do think about it on occasion. And, you know, going from one end of, of the, the spectrum to the other, you know, uh, it just seems kind of strange. But anyway, she, she left. And after she left, my mother left. And I was just by myself for a little bit. The boys were doing something. So... I knew I had to do my normal things. I had to get dinner ready and and do the things, run the boys around where they needed to go and, um, you know, just life. Right. So we we did life that night. We ate dinner and and, um, we went to bed not thinking anything other than, you know, I I can't even say I, I thought about, Liz that much after she left I I think maybe I kind of put it in the back of my head I just didn't want to think about it so when we were awakened at 345 in the morning by our son Jordan who is our middle son he came upstairs and he he said mom there's a policeman at the door he said Brandy was in the river and Liz is missing and I can remember laying there in bed thinking huh no what kidding. are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, thinking I was dreaming, I honestly didn't think it was real. And so he said it again. He repeated it again. Mom! And he was much louder this time and a little more insistent, but said the same words. And when I realized that I was awake, that it wasn't something that was not happening, that was actually going on, I yelled to my husband, who was what, a foot away from me in bed, <laughs> saying the same thing that Jordan had just told us. And then I can remember us both throwing the covers back and getting up and just hurrying down the steps and not knowing where it was going to go from there. You know, panic began to set into my heart. My heart was thumping. It was so hard to to get my mind wrapped around what was going on. And I, I just felt like I was in a cloud And so we walked through the dark kitchen out to the front door and there silhouetted in the front door was a policeman. And I could see him because the lights on his car showed, you know, were shining and and he was there even though the house was dark. And it was kind of an odd, 
hmm. awesome kind of feel, um, surreal. Right. And so we went to the door, and, and he introduced himself. And, and I knew who he was because uh, his children went to school with my children. So he said, um, you know, that he was there, and he repeated the same thing that Jordan had told us. And he asked if Liz was home, and I said, well, no, she's not home. She's staying the night with her friend over on 11th Street and was telling him all this. And he said, um, no, ma'am, she's not there. We've been there. We were wondering if you would check to see if she'd come home. Well, from the front door to Liz's door wasn't all that far. I had to go down a hallway. But it seemed like it was miles long. And mm. as I went down that hallway with lead in my feet, um, when I got to her door and her door was open, I knew that wasn't a good sign. And it kind of scared me. And I walked in her room, and I can remember flipping her light on, looking around her room. And what I had seen on Monday night, her room was perfect. It was clean. Everything was put away. Her bed was made. When I walked in there at 3.45 in the morning, it looked like a tornado had gone through that room. And I just looked, and I looked at her bed, and it was just piled high with stuff. So I walked over to her bed, and I literally patted it down to see if she was under all that. And when I realized she wasn't, that walk back down the hall was even harder on my way back to the door. And when I walked out, I didn't even know what to say. The, my husband, Jeff, looked at me and, and Officer Gentry, and they were waiting for an answer, and all I could do was shake my head no. And so the officer looked at us and, and kind of didn't know what to say. And he said, well, um, uh, uh, well, uh, if I know, as soon as we know anything, I'll, we'll let you know. Uh, I'm going to go now. And he just, hmm. he truly didn't know how to react to that because I know deep in his heart, I've, I've spoken with him a few times since then, he truly hoped that that would be the outcome, that Liz would be there. And uh, that's what would certainly have been mm-hmm. the hope in my heart. But he left and uh, Jeff and I kind of looked at each other and said, did he say what we think he just said? And, and you know... You're just dumbfounded. Mm-hmm. You don't know how to react. You're in shock too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So my husband said, we need to pray. And right then we stood right there by the front door and we prayed. And by this time our boys had gone back to bed. Uh, you know, it's obviously the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. School the next day. And um, my husband and I went out to the living room. He sat down on the couch And I walked over to our big bay window that I could see in three different directions. And I started looking and waiting and watching because I was just sure Liz was going to come home. My husband, on the other hand, was sitting on the couch. And on the coffee table in front of the couch was his Bible. It had been laying open because he'd been reading uh, the passages that our pastor had encouraged encouraged us to read in Matthew uh, 4, 5, and 6. And so we'd been doing a study on that for the past couple weeks at church. So his Bible was always laying open. So it was not unusual to see him pick up his Bible and just start to read. And I'm standing at the window, just waiting, waiting, rehearsing the speech that I'm going to give to Liz as soon as she gets home, because I was not happy with her. We had entrusted her 
to do something that we wouldn't normally do. And what a disappointment that she wasn't able to follow through with it. So my, my plan was to uh, wait and just talk to her. And so I stood there and I waited and I, I could see we lived just uh, kind of kitty cornered from an elementary school where all our children went to school. And we lived by the, the playground, the back part of the school. And I could see clear past the playground uh, to the next street about a block and a half away. And at that point in time, I could see someone walking down the street. Now, Liz was what I like to refer to as fluffy. She and I both have the fluffy problem. And (laughs) so when I saw this person, it looked very much like Liz. Uh, The way she walked, Liz had uh, severe scoliosis. So she had a very prominent limp. And so the way this person was walking, it, she, she walked just like Liz. So I was sure that's who it was. And she was very slow. And it just, you know, I wanted her to hurry up. I wanted her to get there because, boy, did I have an earful for her. <laughs> so I, at one point, even walked out onto the front porch and waited. And this person slowly, slowly, and it was just like, hurry up, get over here. I have some things to say to you kind of thing. Right. And the person comes right past the front front yard and just keeps on going. And when I looked at her, my heart just skipped several beats. And I realized that it wasn't Liz. And I didn't know how to react. I was so disappointed. My heart just hurt. And so I went back in the house and Jeff was still sitting there reading. I walked back to the window and stood there and waited and waited. And finally about, oh, I'd say about three minutes till five, I had this kind of hair raising, you know, when the hair stands up on the back of your neck and you know something's going on, but you don't know exactly what it is. But at that moment, I knew that God was speaking to my husband. Don't ask me how I knew. I just knew. I turned around and I looked at him and I said, what did God just say to you? And he looked at me and then he put his head down and he was quiet for what seemed an eternity, but I'm sure it was only a few seconds. And he looked back up at me and he said, well, God said a lot of things, but he said, we can go to the hospital at six o'clock. So again, I looked at the clock and realized that it was just before five. We only lived just a few minutes away, maybe five minutes. And we pulled up to the emergency entrance, and as we pull up there, I see, oh, so many different cars there. I see Dover Police, which is the town that we're from. I see New Philly Police, which is the town that Brandy's from. I saw uh, sheriff's cars, and there was an ambulance, and there were probably eight people, eight men walking around outside, and they were kind of talking to each other. It was very unusual. And as Jeff and I got out of the the van and we started to walk over, two men came toward us. One man we knew very well. He was a captain in the Dover Police Force, very good friend of ours. Uh, His daughter, Tiffany, and Liz used to play together when they were younger. Uh, His in-laws and my in-laws lived next door to each other. So we were friends. We knew Mm -hmm. each other. And as we walked up, he had someone else with him that we didn't recognize. 
Bob and this man looked at each other, and then they looked at us, and they said, well, let's go in here and we'll talk. So we walked into the emergency room, and what was something, something that was very unusual to me was that the emergency room was empty. There was no one sitting there waiting to be checked or anything. Mm-hmm. And so I would just assume that we would sit down there and talk, and that didn't happen. These two men walked down this short hallway, and we were following them, and they went to a private waiting area. And I thought it was kind of unusual, but didn't think a whole lot more about it. I just wanted some answers. They opened the door into this waiting room, and it was full of people. And um, they asked them to leave. They said, I'm sorry, we need to use this room. Could you please leave? And, of course, the people, seeing that it was the police asking them, got up to leave, and they slowly started to file out and we sat down bob the friend the policeman that we knew was to our right there was another man that had been with him sat directly across from us dode and katie sat to our left and as i'm saying this i'm seeing this whole room and i'm seeing what's going on and and what i didn't really notice at the time was that there were two nurses that came in as well and one was beside me and the other one was over on the other side beside jeff And I didn't think much about it. The man that was directly across from us began to introduce himself. And he started to say, my name is Walt Wilson, and I am the lead detective in Tuscarawas County. And as he began this, my husband stopped him. And I thought that was kind of unusual. And then he says, I already know my daughter's dead. I did not know that her daughter was dead. So hearing those words come out of Jeff's mouth, it stunned me. I didn't know how to react, and I can remember just, it's a wonder my head didn't snap off. I turned toward him so quickly, and then I thought, what is that awful noise? What am I hearing? And then I realized that that noise that I was hearing was me, and I was screaming no from the very depths of my soul. And as I did that, I fell against Jeff, and I was just sobbing. And this, this whole thing was just beyond anything that I had ever done before and anything that I had ever heard. And so I was shocked. And as I'm sitting there crying and just clinging to Jeff, I hear my husband say the words, and we forgive the man that did this. And I'm still laying there or leaning against him just crying. And as as he said those words, it was like someone was giving me this box. It was a gift. And it was the most ornately wrapped package I had ever seen. It was absolutely stunning, gorgeous, you know, something that you just want to admire. And as I looked at it, um, you know, you don't want to do anything to disturb it. You just want to look at it. And then suddenly it fell open. And I knew that when that fell open, that what I was looking at was a choice of life or death for me. And what I was looking at was forgiveness. And in that moment, in that moment, I knew that I had to make a choice. And Carol, I have never felt the feeling that I felt right then. Not before and not since. But I knew 
that the choice that I made was going to be so important that it truly would be a life or death choice for me. I could choose this to accept this forgiveness or I could put it back in the box and put it up on a shelf and ignore it. And I, you know, most people would say I had every right to. I could be angry. I could not forgive. I could just go on with my life and be, you know, (laughs) be like a lot of people are. What's interesting here, I think, is that you knew that she had been murdered, not killed in a car accident or something. Well, yes and no. I mean, my husband said he knew she was dead. And then he went on to say, and we forgive the man that did this. But we didn't know, I didn't know, uh, that she had been murdered. You know, I just hearing that, I didn't know. And uh, Jeff didn't know the circumstances either. But when but, he said, I forgive, that's what I meant. Did, did he not already realize that she, was, that she was murdered? You know, that's a very good question. He knew that something had happened, and he knew that someone was at fault and that her life had been taken. Okay, okay. But we didn't necessarily know how, whether it had, it had been in, in a car accident or, okay, or what. Okay. We didn't know the circumstances. So when, when I sat up after I heard those words from Jeff, and I looked at Walt Wilson and I said, yes, we do. We forgive him. I didn't know what I was forgiving, but mm. I knew that it was, when I said those words, it was something that gave me such freedom. Mm. And I, as I was sitting there, I, when I was leaning against Jeff at first, I felt like someone was pouring pancake syrup all over my head, and I could feel it, you know, how it slowly drips down the sides of the pancakes (laughs) and completely envelops them. Well, I felt like something was being poured over me, and as I felt this come down over me, I felt peace, just peace. And I knew that it had to be God. I I had no doubt. And so after we, I sat up and said, yes, we forgive him, then Walt started to ask us a few questions. He asked what Liz was wearing, and of course, I didn't know what Liz had on when she left because I was in the other room. I wasn't paying any attention. And I was kind of embarrassed that I didn't know. And so he he asked, he said, well, did she have brown sandals? And I said, oh, yes, she had brown sandals. She wore them all the time. And, And then he asked me a couple more questions. Yes, yes. Well, I know for school she had on denim shorts and, and, and a yellow blouse and, and different things. And he looked at us and he asked me, he says, well, do you, do you have a picture of her? And the only picture I can find of Liz, one when she was a baby and one when she was in like eighth grade. And I was mortified. Now, don't ask me why I felt that way. I was mortified that I didn't have a a newer picture. And I was berating myself. Beck, you should be more organized and have current pictures, you know. And the silly things that go through your mind, it just never ceases to amaze me. But anyway, I handed him the picture that I had. And I'm apologizing to him. And he's, you know, just looking at this picture and... And I'm waiting, and Jeff's waiting, and he looks at the picture, and he looks back at us, and his eyes have tears in them. And he said, well, this looks like the girl that we found uh, just before five this morning. And if you remember, I told you, 
I knew God spoke something to Jeff, and I looked at the clock, and it was just before five. I don't think the time comparison is a coincidence, Carol. I think it was definitely God leading and God speaking. And what I found out that God had spoken to Jeff, he'd been sitting there reading his Bible. He'd been reading in Matthew 5, which is the Beatitudes. And his eyes fell on verse 4, and he'd been sitting there asking God to show him, to tell him where Liz was. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I didn't know any of this until we were sitting there in that hospital, in that waiting room. And as he told little bits of the story to to Walt Wilson and those who were sitting in the room, and we talked for a while longer, and we still didn't know the circumstances surrounding Liz, what exactly had happened, we found out a few things. We found out later in the morning more of the story. But we knew at 7 o'clock that we had to leave and we had to go home and tell our boys what was going on. I was supposed to be to work at 7 o'clock at the school, and obviously I wasn't going to go to school that day. Did they not tell you what happened or what they assumed happened? They honestly didn't know exactly what had happened. They didn't know other than the fact that, that she was dead and that Brandy was missing or had been missing in the river. Uh, she had walked, well, let me back up a little bit, Carol. Okay. When the girls had gone to the banquet, their plan was to go to the banquet, then they were going to go to Hollywood Video and run a couple videos to take home to Brandy's house to watch. So they left the school and stopped by Brandy's mom's house. They saw her for a few minutes and then they left to go rent videos. The girls went to Hollywood Video and while they were there, a man approached them asking for a ride home, saying that he had been walking the majority of the day. He'd walked several miles, and he was just too exhausted to walk any further. Now, the girls tried to ignore him, but he was very persistent, and he continued to talk to them. And he followed them to the car, and he he started to tell them things about his life and, and where he was and what he was doing. And, you know, trying to familiarize the girls with him, supposedly. <laughs> and, you know, that's pretty unusual for this area. That kind of thing doesn't happen often. But he talked for quite a while and told them that his name was Mark and that he was a student at the college here in town and that he was studying psychology and he was doing all kinds of things. And um, the girls were listening to this and he'd asked them a couple times my, to my understanding, if they would give him a ride, and they said no. And then finally he said, look, I'll give you $20 for gas. Please, I just need a ride home. He was really playing on their sympathies. My understanding is the girls talked, and they must have come to the conclusion together that, okay, since there were two of them, it would probably be all right that they would be helping this man and that it would be a good thing to have. So after they agreed to give this man a ride, he got in the car, and they were only going to take him a mile or so down the road. They stopped so he could pick up a package that he'd requested that they stop. He'd left something by the bridge earlier, 
And so as he jumped out of the car to go get this package, the girls almost drove away, but he was back so quickly that they had to follow through. They had no idea. They had no idea what was going to happen in the next hours. We knew that life was going to take a drastic, drastic change for both of those girls. But in the meantime, when we left that hospital, when Jeff and I were leaving the emergency room, as we went out the doors, we were greeted by our pastor and the pastor that was in the room with us, and they were both friends. And so we asked them if they could take us home. They said yes, and we went out and we got into the van and they took us to our home. We knew that our lives <laughs> would never, ever be the same from that moment on. We walked in the house and my husband called the boys to come out to the living room. My pastor had dropped his wife off at our home before he went to the hospital. Now our pastor and his wife, Doris and Leo, I'd known my entire life. Uh, Doris was my mother's best friend. And so I'd known them forever. And that was, they were family. So when we went in, they both felt the same pain and the same things that we were feeling. When our boys came to the living room, they sat on the love seat. Two of them sat on the cushions and one sat on the arm. My husband knelt down in front of them and he put his head down like he'd done with me earlier. And he said, boys, your sister's gone. And now we're going to pray for the man that did this. And so that's what we did. We gathered together as a group and we held hands and we began to pray for this man. And we didn't know that those prayers would lead to such an extraordinary, extraordinary days, uh, time in our lives after this happened. And Becky, I think I'm going to stop you there. We're at a cliffhanger. We are. You know, you have you have my interest <laughs> big time. And this is about where I stopped reading your book, too. So I think that we are going to leave it because this is such a phenomenal story for two reasons, the story itself and also for your ability to get through it using forgiveness because that gave you strength. It did. And I think we will leave it at that point. And I encourage people. I don't think I have to encourage them too much because it's evident that I know people are going to want to know the end of this story. So I encourage them to buy your book, which is going to be, of course, in the show notes, listed yes. with, with everything else. And I can't wait to finish reading it. And I, I just hope that a lot of people will buy this phenomenal book and share it also with their friends. So to switch gears a little bit, you got me on pins and needles now. <laughs> to switch gears a little bit, uh, what else? Are you writing any other books? I think you are, aren't you? I, I am. I'm actually working on one that is such a polar opposite of Through My Tears. Um, it's called Hot Flashes with a Side of Garlic Bread. <laughs> I I know I hot I know. flashes well, with a side of garlic bread bread yes yes <laughs> I as I was writing through my tears I was sitting at the computer and I was just sobbing I mean it's very appropriately titled through my tears uh, because there were so many shed while I was writing as I'm 
working on this, I was also canning. I was cooking pizza sauce on my stove. And so I was going back and forth from the stove to the computer. And I'm smelling this pizza sauce, and it just permeates the entire house. And I'm thinking, oh, that just smells so good. And I remembered that I had a loaf of garlic bread that I had taken to a picnic that we'd gone to a couple days before, and I still had the majority of that loaf of bread left. And I thought, oh, that would taste so good dipped in that sauce. (laughs) (laughs) So I walked over, and I got the garlic bread out, and I popped it in the microwave to warm it just a little. And I got a little bowl of sauce and went over to the computer, and I started eating. And I started getting the silliest thoughts. I thought, oh, you know, maybe if I would, wouldn't it be nice if I'd, put this bread on the floor, if I could call it low carbs, you know, because it would be low. Right, right, right. And just all these silly things started coming. So I thought, hey, that's kind of funny. So I started, I got a new page up on the computer and I started writing this. And for the next probably six hours, I started writing. And I was sitting there and I had myself in stitches half the time. <laughs> because all the, the things that I was writing were things that had happened to me. And I, um, obviously, a middle-aged, menopausal woman, hence the hot flashes. And so this was sort of my comedy relief from, from this other book. So that's, that's what wonderful. I'm still working on. That's one. When is that coming out? That's a very good question, probably after <laughs> I finish it. <laughs> oh, that, you know, that's even a better answer. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but you'll have to just be watching because okay, I, I've been that. working on it again diligently recently and uh reading a, an excerpt of it yesterday to my writer's group, and we all had fun just reading that part. So it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be uh, not a deep book, but something fun, something light, and there's going to be devotionals in it. There's going to be recipes in it. There's going to be all kinds of fun stuff in it. And I know that it'll be good because your style of writing, and I'm very critical, <laughs> and your style of writing I really really liked it definitely well, has a way of pulling in the reader and to me that that's an awesome author and so i look forward to that and we'll we'll definitely uh, put that up on your website as well okay. as soon as you get it up and going okay anything else you want to share why don't you conclude a little bit of, of what you said and and then we will um go buy your book and read it <laughs> well you know carol life has its ups and its downs And the last three years, life has had more ups for us. Uh, Our three boys have gotten married every every summer for the last three years. Each one has gotten married. And two months ago today, our middle son, Jordan, and his wife gave us our first grandchild. Our life has taken many twists and turns, but in three more weeks, our second grandchild will be born. Oh, how exciting. It is. So despite... The, the sorrow and the tragedy, life does go on, and God gives us amazing things that we can look forward to, that we can experience now and look forward to in our future. And it also is the circle of life. It is. Where you see the new, the new, new birth, and it just it must thrill you beyond anything that you could imagine. It does. And you know, Carol, I never dreamt that I would be doing what I'm doing now. I was always so fearful of, of public speaking and of, of being the center of attention, and I always tried to hide in the background. And 
since this happened with Liz, I haven't been able to hide. <laughs> and Interesting. It's, it's, been, it's been a good thing. It's been very eye-opening to me because I know in and of myself I couldn't do it. And I'm the writer in the family, but he began the speaking ministry six weeks after Liz died, and it has been going strong ever since. Thank you so much, Becky. That was an awesome story slash interview. And I really appreciate what you shared and what your book is going to um, reveal because we don't know what happened. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but also to see your attitude, to see your your joy, you know, your peace, not only through the time that you were going through this, but carrying through years forward. And so I thank you for that. And I know that that in itself will be an encouragement. And we look forward to having you back again when you have your new book out and have some good laughs. I would love to come back, Carol. Thank you so much. That sounds awesome. And thank you and goodbye. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.